Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have freelance writer Fraser Brown. Hello. We also welcome back our friend, freelance writer John Bolding. Hello. Uh, so today we're going to be discussing the grim darkness of the far future as well as the rise of chaos uh, in the old world. Uh, that's right, it is time to celebrate Warhammer Christmas, that most magical time of year, uh, when we consider that the open heart is like a fortress with the gates unbarred. Uh, so, Fraser, this was this was kind of your idea. You you've been on a bit. You've been kind of jonesing to discuss all things Warhammer, and uh, I'm curious what what brought this on. Um, because I can't escape it. It is impossible to escape the Warhammer at the moment. Um, I mean, you just if you look at the last like couple of years, how many bloody Warhammer games have come out? It's a bit ridiculous, but also wonderful which is why it's great that we're able to discuss it on the most festive time of year. Um, but also because I was, I've, I've just been playing quite a few lately, catching up on ones I missed. Um, I didn't play a lot of Blood Bowl 2 because I'm not a huge fan of the American football analogue, uh, but I've been getting into that. It's quite a lot of fun. Um, and I was also reviewing the new uh, Total War Warhammer expansion, uh, Realm of the Wood Elves, which is very, very good if you're much better at games than I am. Uh, it's quite <laughs> it's quite tricky, and I did get my ass handed to me a few times. But yeah, so it's just really, it's just what I've been playing, and it's been kind of in my mind, and I thought, I, I, know, I know everyone loves to have a wee gab about chaos and the grim dark universe of the future. So yeah, that was the impetus. So... When I started considering uh, this topic, I started sort of listing um, Warhammer games, and I don't think it had fully dawned on me just how many of them there are and how many yeah. of, of, are, are sort of of, of a recent vintage. Uh, yeah. And I think the big thing that's that's changed in the last few years is that I remember when Dawn of War came out, like the first one, the first uh, Relic RTS on, on Warhammer right. 40K. One of the yeah. things that was really exciting about it was that it was a good Warhammer game on PC. Like those just didn't exist. Like it was, it was like you know with the army painter and all that. It was, it was some of the oh, pleasure yeah. of of playing with the minis and like decorating your own uh, like Space Marine companies and stuff like that. Uh, it was, it was some of the pleasure of that. Uh, like married to a really fun, innovative RTS uh, that really felt like authentically Warhammer, right? And at the time that was um that was a hard flavor to get. You know, I I I'd always sort of been priced out of the minis market. How dare you imply that Fire Warrior wasn't an amazing game. Oh, <laughs> I was All right. terrified for Dawn of War to come out because Fire Warrior came out the year before and was so profoundly bad. I have no memory of Fire Warrior. Oh really? It was Well you don't you don't need it. It's an offensively bad first-person shooter. It's kind is it an of... offensively bad game I could get on GOG? Um, or is it just gone? I don't like it know. Just I hope it's just gone. I bet like, you I could can find like, some PS2 copies in like a bin somewhere. Um, but it's crazy because it was like uh, it was a Warhammer game purely about like a tau, which is a really strange decision. Um, like the race, the tau. Yeah, it, yeah. it was like you're playing a, a tau warrior i can't remember their name uh but yeah and it was i can remember every g grisly detail and they were shitting 
and some stuff and like that. I mean, I really remember very little aside from this isn't very good. It it has one uh one redeeming quality, um, which is that uh it has the best bolter of any Warhammer game that there ever has been. So I'll give it that. Like, it feels like you're holding a tiny fucking rocket launcher every time you shoot that thing. It's great. That's one of those really nuanced uh, things that it's, it's a bit like what is, uh, like, what's the best shotgun in first person shooter games? Exactly. It's like, it's all kind of the same, but like, you, you can really, like, get hair splitty about the differences. Uh, what's, what, like, what, what's the ideal bolter? It, it sounds like a tiny rocket launcher every okay. time it's fired, right? Because that's what it should be. Like, I'm always, I always got a little offended by the, the Dawn of War bolters, which sound like little piddly machine guns. Like, they sound like an assault rifle. That's not what a bolter oh, sounds like. Oh, they do not. They're much, no, they they're much basier. They, they sound more like construction equipment machine guns, which I always sort of felt was, was correct. It's like a nail gun or something. It's got that sort of punchy sound. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, need, to, I need to be way louder. Okay. Uh, so Dawn of War it was like it, it was it was special that like a Warhammer game uh, existed. Um, it was and and it, and it was good, right? Because I I feel I feel like in that context, you know, it had been a long dry spell for for Warhammer games, and uh, to have like Dawn of War come out and and be as good as it was was a real treat. It gave it gave like people like me who'd never really been able to make the time or the money uh, to partake in Warhammer 40k uh, minis, it, it really sort of made that uh, kind of accessible. And it didn't hurt that I think Relic had a really fine grasp on the exact tone to strike for Warhammer. Like, they, they, they really did seem to sort of uh, sort of get it. But I guess, you know, my question is, a lot of those earlier Warhammer games, they were very special because they were kind of rare, right? Like, uh, you know, like Shadow of the Horned Rat loomed large for a couple of reasons. Like, one, it was kind of a forward-thinking RTS uh, for its day. And uh, if, if you haven't heard the episode with uh, Dan Griliopoulos and I discussing that game, uh, you, should, you should go back and give it a listen because it was a really, really innovative game and uh, unique in its era and uh, still kind of interesting today. But, but like, Warhammer PC games just didn't exist very much. And so when they came out, they were, they were kind of these rare treats. I guess what I'm getting at is, do you feel Warhammer has become less special of late? It's definitely become less special. I mean, it doesn't mean that there's not still a lot of interesting stuff to mine. Uh, but every... I mean, think about our inboxes and just how they're inundated every day with a new Warhammer game. Uh, either, like, and it's it's gotten to the point now where it's, like, spin-offs as well, um, where you've got, like, Battlefleet Gothic Armada and things like that, and often they end up being really cool games, but it does get very tiring, and you do feel like you're just being dragged down into the quicksand by them. Um, yeah. You do have you can't like enjoy all Warhammer games. You have to sort of prioritize which one looks like it's gonna be good and then just ditch the rest. I mean, remember in the early two thousands when there were just so many Lord of the Rings games because the Peter Jackson movies <laughs> had just come out? Yeah. And it was such a hot property and there were just so many bad games <laughs> that you could play. I don't even remember. See, see, I I know this this happened, but I don't remember most of them. Right, the one I want the the games I always wanted to play, but never like 
did uh, were the Battle for Middle-Earth games, uh, which now I don't seem to be able to find anywhere online. Yeah, they're really hard to actually get now. Um, are, are they really? Yeah. I should sell my CD copies. Okay. Like, people actually, like, go on and try and hunt them down and actually find physical copies because you can't get them digitally. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, John, I, I think the phrase you were looking for, by the way, was, I should loan you my copies. <laughs> I think I think that's where I think that's where your thoughts were trending. Yeah, loan you for a fat greasy wad of cash. Yeah, uh, it is it is a bit like that, um, and I, I would say so. Once like once relics sort of stopped being the the home of all things Warhammer, uh, you know, on on PC, it, it started going in a lot of different directions, and I guess I started to become maybe more inherently skeptical of Warhammer games than than not, which is perhaps a little unfair, because as I sort of started thinking about the games that have come out uh, in the last, you know, few years, um, there's been some really cool stuff. You know, like, uh, you know, as, as much as, like, I might despise things like, um, oh, God, what's that, that reskin of Talisman? Um, oh. That I think... Yeah, Relic, I yeah. think that's what it's called, ironically enough. What is it called? I think it's actually called Relic. Yeah, I think so, yes, yes. The electronic version of that uh, is, well, it's, it's as loathsome as the board game. Um, and then there were, I think, some some really, you talk about greasy wads of cash, I think there were some, uh, some pretty gnarly mobile games uh, about, about Warhammer. But at the same time, like, I've really enjoyed stuff like Battlefleet Gothic, um, and I don't think that I don't think a game like that exists, uh, you know, five or six years ago, right? Like it, like we, you are starting to see interesting things and sort of interesting subcategories of experiences within the Warhammer universe uh, start to pop up. It's it's not all Space Marines anymore, uh, yeah. which, which I think is kind of cool. And I think that's what uh, in the early two thousands and the late nineties. That's what a lot of people were really wishing for. Is like I would I would really like a warhammer game that doesn't involve space marines or orcs right so like fire warrior then (laughs) you you cut that out we don't say that name here but yeah there is there's a lot more diversity now even when you are dealing with space marines there's still some interesting games uh, that come out of that like um armageddon is is really good fun and is it's it's a war game. I mean, you actually you have and you have these persistent armies and it, wait, is that the Matrix game? That's the, yeah, the Slytherin and uh, Lord's Game Studio. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay, that looked that I swear to God. See, what turned me off that was like it looked exactly like it's Panzer General, but Panzer, with space it is. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. But I don't know that I want that because I played Panzer General like yeah under I like, mean, it's with different. eighty different skins. Like they actually, it's more than just the skin though um i mean definitely it's the foundation of of panzer generals but it's it's still authentically uh games workshop uh i recommend it it is actually a lot of fun and they've they've got the orc expansion uh that orcs which came out a little while ago which is also quite good and it's also about an interesting period and kind of war in 40k lore as well um and there's just something rather uh i don't know satisfying about 
besieging giant hive cities while sort of playing Panzer General as well. <laughs> See, I, I think I had a little bit of a different experience. Like, I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't... It didn't grab me. It sounds like it actually grabbed you. Um, I sort of saw Panzer General. That's all I was able to see the whole time I was playing it. And it does have it has some really standout moments where it's like, yeah, okay, Panzer General definitely doesn't have flamethrower tanks and giant robots. But it still had that central core of like, yeah, okay, it's it's sort of a rock, paper, scissors game of counters. I mean, that's what they're 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 going for, obviously. Um and I mean, it, but I still think it's unfair to say it, it is just a, a reskin. Um, but the, the, the point is, is that you can really try to find any sort of subgenre of strategy, and then and and beyond strategy, and you'll probably find a Warhammer 40k or otherwise that will kind of uh, give you something to play. I mean, even if you're looking for for like a co-op shooter or like like Vermintide, for instance, yeah. is not something that you would ever really like imagine happening. And and yet, mm. yeah, Vermintide. See, because we we were enjoying Vermintide when it came out, Rob. I remember we played a little bit, um, but unfortunately, it kind of just seemed to to disappear, didn't it? Like the actual player base wasn't really there. Well, I don't th see. I mean, I thought it was fun at first, but for me, it wore out its welcome real fast. Yeah, um, it's weird. Like, I think I think the game looks great, uh, but it just it's I don't know. To me, it felt like a really inexpert uh, copy of of Left 4 Dead. Um, that like it just it, I don't know. I I couldn't stand the way Vermintide could not manage its difficulty. Um, it did like, just. Bike insanely sometimes, and then there'd be just moments where you're faced with like two rats. Yeah, exactly. Like I think my issue with Vermintide was that. Okay, so we're we're, we're since this is a Warhammer show, this is not really off topic, but we are getting a little far afield from t typical three uh, MA stuff. So if you haven't played uh, Vermintide, it's it's basically like uh, Warhammer Fantasy uh, Left for Dead. Uh, where you're in the city of, uh, I don't know, some imperial city, um, and it's under attack. Ubersreich. Yes, Ubersreich, yeah. And it's under attack from the Skaven, and they, they're they sort of infiltrating the city, and you and a bunch of Warhammer badasses end up basically taking refuge in a in a bar. Uh, so it's very Shaun of the Dead, I guess is the way I'd put it. Uh, so you all know that. So, uh, so, so basically, like a, a witch hunter, uh, a, a a knight, a you know, all walk into a bar, and and the the bartender goes, "You need to go to these six locations <laughs> and kill a bunch of Skaven." Uh, right. But the just was you walk through these. You know, you you take these linear missions and you do a bunch of tasks, and all along the way you had to use teamwork to to kill a bunch of Skaven. the The issue I had with that game was like, what Left 4 Dead was really good at doing was building suspense because like it was sort of different each time through, but it was also really good at always making it feel, basically until the end game encounters, that you had a fair chance. You know what I mean? Like, if if your if your group was struggling, it always sort of felt like the game started taking a little easy on you, let you catch a right. breath, uh, build back up. Uh, if you were if things were going too smoothly, 
you definitely started getting nervous because like it f- always felt like the game was about to just drop the hammer on you. With Vermintide, what drove me crazy is what happened seemed to bear no resemble like no relationship to how the team was performing. Like occasionally it would like just literally be we are putting a squad of uh, armored Skaven uh, warriors uh, right in your path. Like, literally, once I had this happen in a choke point, like, there was basically like, a narrow little stairwell uh, and a little, like, catwalk uh, into this, like, old grain silo or something. And the game just spawned, like, a group of armored rats, like, on the little, on the little catwalk. And that's a really tough encounter. Like those guys are, are really, are really hardy in that game. And they just like slaughtered us in, in seconds. It was, it was, it was just like the game basically like, like spiked the big red, like you lose button. And that's what drove me nuts about that. I, I think it had a lot of scripted uh, events, right? So like a lot of those armored rats would just, they were going to come every time you played that level, they were going to come at a certain point, no matter what. Right. Um, and that was really painful in, in that Left 4 Dead sort of environment where maybe it had just hit you really hard a second before and you were doing really badly. Um, or maybe you were just coasting along and you had no idea that that was coming. It, it did definitely didn't have the, the same level of AI quality that Left 4 Dead had. I think it's not even just the, it's it's the need of for like a director for someone to be controlling the action um, uh, basically an, an artificial DM, really. Uh, and that's why Left 4 Dead worked so well. But I I think, though, the, the setting is... Because I, I, I never really fell in love with Left 4 Dead in the same way that every other human being seemed to. Um, and I think a lot of that is just, I'm just sick the back teeth of the undead. Uh, whereas sentient rat men... I'm more I'm more down for that. Uh and the fantasy setting as well. So like navigating this kind of old Germanic labyrinthian city while rats pour out of the walls and jump from above with spears. I I get into that. I like that. Also ultimately I kind of I actually think I enjoyed it more than Left 4 Dead, even though I acknowledge it's not the better game. But I think that Games Workshop games get away with a lot. I think, from their setting. Like, they can, you can kind of forgive them a lot of cock-ups just because it's an innately kind of fun, both universes are, are kind of fun to play around in. Yeah, I think that was where the majority of the quality in Vermintide was, right? It's in this sort of beautifully rendered old world. It's a gorgeous game. Yeah, everything looked great. You wanted to play with the toys there. Like, um, I also I also really loved and I this is a I'll admit like a a personal love is if you get like a black powder pistol right I'm interested in your game. All the weapons felt fantastic and the characters that wielded them were great as well. They had little conversations. There was banter. It, yes. it was you know pithy funny stuff. Um, so really that kind of the the feel of the game and the, the setting is is really what made it special. Um, but then you get you do i i feel that games workshop stuff uh their their digital spin-offs they're rarely tapping into the mechanics of these games i mean even when you get say cuz we you know we're talking about armageddon armageddon is like a turn-based 
strategy game. It could easily have been just the tabletop game transported into digital space, but it's not. It's Panzer Generals. So it, Games Workshop aren't really keen for developers to remake the tabletop game. It's always something a little bit different, just using the settings and characters and kind of themes of the, the respective universes. Right. As I understand it, like the, it's like almost to a contractual level. Like yeah. That if if your game starts to uh, infringe on the base tabletop games, like that's that's game over. Like they won't let that happen because ultimately, like they're in the business of selling people overpriced minis. That's that's what they're into. Yeah, like if you can get the tabletop game on your PC for thirty quid, then why are you going to shell out thousands? Um, on the actual tabletop game, on all your armies and paints and fancy things. Um, yeah, it just wouldn't really make much sense. So I can understand yeah. it, but I have heard that developers and publishers have specifically been told that they cannot do certain things that would make it too much like the tabletop game. And I'm certain that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I think Games Workshop understands that they are a company that caters to collectors they're a company that caters to people who want to own all of something and so sufficiently differentiating between every single video game offering making sure it doesn't overlap too much with something else that's else that's gonna come out making sure that it's different enough from their core tabletop products like that is a major push for them um like, you'll notice that a few years ago, I think three years ago, when they did the Space Hulk video game, um, like the turn-based mm -hmm. Space Hulk game, they didn't re-release Space Hulk in plastic form. But this year, when the Space Hulk video game is a first-person shooter that's going to come out in, I think, like a week. Yeah. Yeah, De Deathwing. Yeah. They did re-release a plastic turn-based tabletop Space Hulk box, right? Um they that are definitely paying a lot of really close attention to what their offerings are. Do you think? Do you do you think that like there's been a like a considered shift? Because it definitely felt like once the sort of the exclusivity with Sega Relic, whatever. Uh, uh, once that kind of THQ, yeah. Once that kind of started to um, once they kind of lapsed. Initially, it sort of seemed like Games Workshop were a little bit like that newly divorced person getting out of a bad marriage of many years, uh, where they're just like, I am going to couple with as many partners as possible, and we are going to make some weird, uh, weird memories together. Yeah, they're just trying to see what sticks. Yeah, yeah, and it is interesting now. Maybe it does seem a little more considered and maybe a little bit more... Um, they're trying to find, I hate this word, but like they're trying to find maybe a little more room for like synergy with their tabletop offerings uh, than they, they maybe initially were, right? Where in, like in those first few years, it sort of just seemed like they were throwing their license out there and it was like, whatever you want to make, it just can't be like, it just can't be like any of our games. And so what you got were a lot of like, you know, really a lot of second rate games uh, that were just sort of taking the you know, taking the skin of of Warhammer games and, you know, l draping it over something really, really conventional. Um, I thought the the Space Hulk 
game was actually a, a nice exception to that. I thought that was actually a pretty decent, um, a, a pre- pretty decent adaptation of, of the board game. Uh, although what was interesting to me is, so for someone like me who hadn't played the board game, I thought it was kind of cool. Um, it definitely showed up how weird the Space Hulk board game is in a lot of ways. Like, like it, pl- it it played a lot like XCOM in some ways, with the exception that everything's in a linear tunnel. Like that that was yep. that was a really profoundly strange sort of experience. Like I sort of it, it it is what what Space Hulk is about, uh, but at the same time, it also felt like this really constrained um, tactical turn-based game in an era where. We kind of had an embarrassment of riches of of great versions of stuff like that. I thought Reb uh, Reb Florence's uh, I think it was it was Florence uh, at Rock Paper Shotgun. I thought his review was really interesting, right? Where he was like, "It's a faithful conversion that kind of misses everything that made the board game actually work." Yeah, maybe people really should have just gone back and played Space Crusade. That was like the first Warhammer game I played, including the tabletop stuff was Space Crusade, which was the kind of digital conversion of uh, of Space Hulk. Um, can we can we talk about how cool I'm hoping Deathwing is going to be? We definitely can okay. because I I'm really hoping it's going to be cool because it's it's a first person shooter, which is a very interesting prospect in that world. But it's a first person shooter where one of the primary conceits is that you're mobility limited, which is could be awful, but at the same time could be awesome. And it's made by the people who made I Divine Cybermancy. I Divine Cybermancy, right? yes. Which is the most a terrible crazy. game, sort oh, of. Oh, it's an amazing game. No, it's an, it's an awesome game. It's, it is the game that wins the award for um, best Warhammer 40,000 game that is not a Warhammer 40,000 game. Um, <laughs> oh, like shit, that's a really good point. Those guys, they just, they wanted to make a Warhammer 40k game so badly that they couldn't get the license, so they made one anyways. And then they just draped a bunch of, like, Japanese samurai shit on top of it. All over it. And they were like, alright, maybe we won't get sued. And and now they they finally got to make the game that they clearly always wanted to make. Um, yeah. And so hopefully it's not Vermintide Two where it just looks gorgeous and doesn't fully deliver on gameplay. Like I think Vermintide came close enough, right? Like I, I'm willing to go. Like if after the show, uh, well, due to the recording issues, there's no way I want to talk to any of you uh, ever again <laughs> after the show. Um, sorry, we we spent about like 90 minutes trying to arrange this uh, arrange this show uh, against Skype's best efforts, and we're we're trying a new format uh, right now. But like if after the show, like you guys were said to me like. Hey, you know, let's 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 fire up Vermintide and, and go kill some Skaven. I'd be like, yeah, that seems like a cool thing to do uh, on, on a lazy weekend morning. That'd be fine. It's not something I want to play very often because, like, eventually, like very quickly, that game starts to piss me off. But it came close enough. What worries me a little bit about, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, Straymon Studio, is that. I thought Divine Cybermancy was a hot mess. Like there were a lot of interesting systems in it, uh, and it wasn't just that they wanted to make a 40k game. Because the thing that always like the thing that always came through loud and clear to me was they also really really loved like Deus Ex, 
Like, they loved immersive sims and, like, wanted to create a bunch of systems to make that shit work, too. But they couldn't, like, really build a world to support any of that. So it was, like, a bunch of immersive sim touches in, like, just a ghost town where, like, there was no reason not to just kill everything. And actually, it was easier to just kill everything because, like, everything was a little janky. So I'm, like, kind of hopeful because the thing I'll say for I was it was an interesting game. I think it was a failure, but it was an interesting failure. Um... And so, like, I'm kind of hoping that, like, this will be, you know, what you're saying, what you're saying, John, is, like, this is the game they wanted to make, and, and, and they got more experience, and they've got the license, and now it's going to be awesome. I'm hoping that's the result. I'm really hoping it's not going to be a Warhammer Space Hulk-themed disaster. I'm sort of, I'm quite optimistic about, about Deathwing. Uh, I've seen it in action a few times, and I... It feels it feels right. Everything feels like weighty and heavy when you're kind of stomping down these horrible claustrophobic corridors and gene stealers are just coming out of every orifice of these dead spaceships. Um, it feels very and it looks very authentic. Um, and they, they do seem to have captured the universe really well. Um, and it's... I actually prefer, I think coming at the like experiencing the universe in these slightly different perspectives where it's not necessarily just a strategy game but actually being you know behind the eyes of a space marine and having to deal with horrible hordes of xenos just surrounding my squad uh, rather than just kind of looking at it from above actually being in the action being the one who's wielding these absurd weapons and giant hammers it's more of a power fantasy, I think, when you're actually playing the squad rather than controlling them. I think that's really interesting, um, especially given Warhammer's roots as a strategy and tactics game, that you say that. It's, it's counterintuitive, isn't it? But it, I, I definitely do feel more empowered, I think, when even in, in Space Marine, a game I think is shit. Um, oh, I st- you son yeah, of a I'd, bitch. I knew, I knew that was going to start something. <laughs> it's a garbage game. Uh, I'm sorry, Relic. What the um, hell? Yeah, it's just... I actually think I one of like my most negative reviews I've ever written was on Space Marine. Wow. I just think it's terrible. It's, it's Okay, listeners, dumb. It's don't listen badly, to this man. Don't listen to him. Designed. He gave Rome 2 a 7. <laughs> Fraser Brown looked at Rome 2 at launch and said... Yeah, that's good enough. So, <laughs> no, like, good enough take that. Is not take, seven. take all seven of that with a good. hearty grain of salt. Come on, listeners, you know you're on my side here. Space Marine was shit. There's, there's <laughs> this brilliant bit that kind of just made me just want to give up. Where, um, big blue Space Marine man can't even step over like a little rock that's maybe. Like, I don't know, like 30 centimeters tall. Like, the way it just funnels you through these boring areas without giving you any real freedom. But actually, where I really gave up was when it gives you a fucking jetpack and you're like, this is brilliant. Suddenly the game's amazing and you're just stomping on orcs and flying around and you feel fantastic. And then Big Blue Space Marine Man walks into a cave, and this is a giant, ca- 
cavernous cave. It's huge. He goes, I better take the jetpack off. There's not enough room. There's enough room, mate. But he takes it off because if you had all this extra verticality, then the game would be interesting and Relic didn't want that. They wanted to send you to sleep with this boring game. Yeah, it's garbage. Avoid. John? I don't even... John? I'm... I can't come to your defense, Rob. I, I don't think it's as bad John. as Frazier thinks it is, but I don't think it's a great game. I don't think it's a great game. Uh, I think it was... Look, Mark Strong, Space Marine, like I'll, like, I'll pretty much show up for that no matter what. Like, Here's the thing. Like, the thing you need to know about me is I have watched the Warhammer Space Marine movie more than like four or five times. Wow. Like, you shouldn't say that in public. Yeah, no, it's bad. It's real bad. It's it's basically like, it's it's right up there with um, it, like it's a CG disaster. Uh, it's barely animated in places, uh, and yet I'm like, hell yeah, like this is this is some good space marining. Uh, but yeah, I think Space Marine delivered on some of the the feel of just being like i don't know just being one of these like ginormous killing machines uh just going out and kicking ass for the empire and you know wading into piles of enemies and using cool abilities to basically be like you know a a, a god among among mortals a genetically engineered um, super fascist yeah yeah well that's the other thing I, that's the other thing i did like was the space marine sort of explicitly brought out those themes that like the entire sort of Imperial project and the Space Marines are kind of inherently fascistic. Yeah. And you sort of play one that is starting to sort of like question some of that. And it's really like, I, I honestly love the way it ends. You know, I, I love the way it ends with like, you guys have stopped this, you stopped this like chaos disaster from happening. Um, and the Inquisition shows up and is like, all right, well, we're taking you into custody because you're all tainted here. Right. That's not where it ends, Rob. It ends with an awful turret section on a train because that's where I stopped playing. <laughs> <laughs> Did you even get to the bridge? Did you get to the bridge part? I don't, I don't know. I know that I played enough that I hated myself. Um, yeah, I, I can't actually remember where I, I gave it. It was a little bit after... It might have actually been much further after the trade. It's just the last thing I actually remember. Yeah, you were like, I better thinking... stop playing this good game. I have to make room in my schedule for Rome 2. <laughs> I don't think the two things were no. were related. The the Instead of giving it a score, I just... I think I just put up a Keeping Up Appearances video because it was more entertaining. I don't think you get that in America. It's about a, a housewife who gets into all sorts of bother. Um, it's a very middle-class British comedy from the 90s. And I decided people should watch that instead of playing Space Marine. That's harsh. That's, That's... how much I hate it. Okay, that's pretty <laughs> savage. Turning a bit to, uh... You know, some of the other things that have gone on with, with, with Warhammer of late. Um... So, Fraser, you started us out by talking a little bit about the the new Total Warhammer uh, expansion, which, you know, I, I think the like, I liked uh, Total Warhammer at launch. Um, I thought there was some, I don't know, I thought the economy functioned in some in some really weird ways. Um, it, it felt a little bit like it was always sort of like it felt like it was very tuned to keep you uh, within a a certain performance band 
uh, economically speaking, uh, unless you were going to start like really going on a roll and pillaging everything. Um, but well, let's be honest; it has the same uh, economic and strategic layer problems that most Total War games have. Yeah, most of them since like medieval, certainly medieval two, maybe. Um, but yeah, it, it it does share a lot of those problems. But the other thing was that. There was there was plenty of game there, but it was also like a very constrained scenario, right? Like it wasn't it wasn't this huge sprawling open ended campaign the way a lot of other Total War games uh, are. Uh, Fraser's there were, were a few expansions in now, and now we got Wood Elves showing up. Has has the game's like character changed any? Oh, massively. Um, I mean, firstly, you've got the the first two kind of additions were. Um, Chaos, which was at launch if you pre-ordered, I think. Uh, and the campaign's completely different if you're playing as Chaos because they don't settle, they're purely nomadic. So it's actually all about coming down from the north, uniting all the, the kind of Chaos tribes, and then just decimating everything. Uh, you get giant armies really quickly, really powerful, but you kind of you can be threatened by death from a thousand cuts because you are basically at war with everyone. Um, and it's a much faster uh, paced campaign. Uh, the Beastmen, when they arrive, they actually have their own unique scenario, uh, like a story campaign, as well as a place in the, the grand campaign. It's quite good as well. It, it's very similar, because they're, they're still a Chaos faction. Um, so they share some of the, the Chaos warrior units, um, like Chaos right. Spawn and things like that. Like they have two trees of units, so they have their the actual Beast Men and then the Chaos Spawn stuff. Um, again, it's like a focus on on destruction and devastation. They're um, uh, they're fighting against the Empire in their mini campaign, and it's just all about devastating everything and being badass and her suit. The Wood Elves, completely different. So they again can be played in the grand campaign and have their own story campaign. But they are really strange. Firstly, they're very difficult to actually manage. They require so much micromanagement, way more than your standard Total War faction, because they're basically glass cannons. Uh, they jump out of the forests. They have incredible archers. Um, and just do insanely high damage. But the moment you glare at them, they kind of f crumble. Uh, they've got the hollow bones of birds. Um, which makes it really challenging because you constantly have to stay on top of them. Uh, constantly pausing the battle and never just allowing a unit to just get on with things. Um, I find myself constantly clicking, constantly ordering these archers to move out of the way. Uh, one thing that's actually quite cool is that their archers can fire and move at the same time. So if you set them to their kind of retreat mode so that whenever they see an enemy force approaching, they will move back to safety, they will continually be firing. It means they r can run out of arrows a bit faster if you don't have some of the replenishment bonuses. But they can pretty much constantly be bombarding the enemy, uh, which is really good fun. So it's playing them is kind of all about setting up these uh, sneaky traps, drawing them into like a killing zone, closing the door behind them with some of the more monstrous units like the tree men, kind of magical creatures like that, and then yeah. just 
bringing archers from both sides and just devastating them. And all of a sudden, this much, this heavily armored, much more superior force can be completely demolished by these skinny blonde elves in, in a matter of moments. But it's all about like the planets aligning, really, uh, and these plans uh, coming together, which they often don't. And I have lost more battles as the Wood Elves than like any other uh, Total War faction, uh, Warhammer or otherwise. Uh, but they, so they're they're quite offensive. They've always got to be on the offensive, then moving back and then hitting again. They're kind of like guerrilla warriors, but their campaign style is more defensive. Uh, they have this thing, this this great tree called the Oak of Ages. To win their campaign, instead of conquering everyone, they have to level this tree up. But if that tree is destroyed or conquered, that's game over for the elves. So they have this glaring weakness. And that, that is like, it's, if you don't defend it, it will be attacked. Because enemies are drawn to it, especially in the story campaign. Um, so it's quite a devastating loss. Yeah, I, um, I think that a, a really big step forward for Total War, and it... I want to chalk it up to the the influence of Warhammer is the more focused story campaign, like what the Wood Elves have and like what the Beastmen got in Total Warhammer. Um, I really enjoyed the Beastmen mini campaign, and I've really enjoyed the Wood Elf one so far. I think that they have a lot of potential for the future of the series in the same way that like Attila's more focused scenario just made the yeah. game better. Um. I think that it's possible that that game's design lends itself towards um, just an epic scenario where the stakes are a little lower than they try to set them than the, the genuine mm-hmm. world conquest. Um, yeah, I I really love playing as the Wood Elves in in Total Warhammer. It reminds me of I used to play as the Scythians a lot in the original Rome Total War, and I just genuinely enjoyed seeing if i could use an army of horse archers to win and that's what it reminds me of i mean i i think that's a i think that's an evolution that's been underway with um with total war i'm glad to see it finally make its way into the main games right because like there did seem always seem to be this pattern of like you had the big world conquering game that was sort of the 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 the, the big new uh total war game and then the interesting scenarios would come uh after that, you know what I mean. So, like, even with Rome, I thought you know Rome, Rome one. I, I I kind of have a love hate relationship with, but I thought Barbarian Invasion was really really cool, uh, and that was a that was sort of what Attila is, right? It, it's more of a scenario. Um, you know, the the empire is about to fall. Everyone's sort of swarming in. Um, you know, empire was just too big for its own good, so you get the more focused Napoleon, and then Napoleon spawns like the really focused, like, Iberian campaign and introduces a bunch of mechanics that get used later. Uh, so I think it's been an evolution underway. What I'm, what I'm sort of glad to see them embrace with Attila and then Total Warhammer is that you can just start from there. You know what I mean? You, it, not everything needs to be a big world-conquering game. And in fact, uh, sometimes it's better to have uh, scenarios with sort of, like, specific trade-offs and... T- and conflicts and tensions baked into it because uh, i mean this is sort of an obsession with, like that one of the things i really appreciate when i go and play like uh strategy board games is that 
those are all scenarios, right? They're all crafted, like, for the most part, they're all crafted experiences. They're not all designed to be these big open-ended, like, risk-type games where everyone has an equal shot of conquering a big map. A lot of times they're, they're somewhat asymmetric, uh, in, in some ways, uh, there's certain like dynamics that are really specific to geography or timing or, or, or something like that that you have to take into account. And a lot of times that generates more memorable games in a lot of ways, right? Like a few acres of snow is a really limited scenario. I have played that game probably like 30 or 40 times because it's a really good scenario that can go a lot of different ways. Um, War of the Ring, I will still argue, is one of the greatest war games, uh, strategy games ever made. Uh, again, a really specific scenario. So I think it's really cool that with like Total War and then especially with like uh, Total War Warhammer, they seem to have completely stepped away from just trying to create one world conquering game after another and are instead trying to set up like these little mini campaigns around more spe more specific conflicts between enemies that are maybe a little more designed in reference to their sort of opposing factions if that makes sense like definitely like total war warhammer and maybe that's because the source material is working from it sort of had that StarCraft thing where the factions sort of feel like they're meant to match up in certain ways against each other and not just be like generic medieval armies. Yeah, that's, that's definitely how it, how it works. It, it feels like you also have that built into the lore as well. Um, so you've got like Beastmen versus Wood Elves just makes sense. Um, and while the, the beastmen are kind of quite slow, but they have like devastating charges and hard and heavy armor, you've got the wood elves who are spry and sneaky, but and they both share kind of similar campaign abilities as well in the way that they navigate the world uh, through the forests. Um, so yeah, it definitely feels like each faction has their own kind of perfect enemy almost, which creates some of the most kind of more interesting battles. Yeah, absolutely. Quick question. Uh, with, with these new factions being rolled into the game, uh, I know that they're all sort of attended by special campaigns uh, sort of showcasing those factions. Are they also sort of being added to a, a grand campaign? Like, is the grand campaign yeah. sort of expanding? It's getting bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, with every faction that's introduced, um, you get, like, a new kind of... They they get their, a new starting location on the on the actual grand campaign map, but then they get a much smaller, more focused story campaign. Uh, that's it, it's still set on that map, but like a very small piece of it. Um, but there, I actually think the story campaigns are are quite large. They're they're meant to be smaller than the grand campaign, but there's a lot that goes on in them, and they each have like these uh, kind of epic story battles as well these kind of semi-scripted mm -hmm. quest battles and they're fantastic um some of my favorite fights in the game uh so there's a lot there but the, yeah the grand campaign you can still use them just as you would any of the uh the base factions because the point i think is that creative assembly are are just constantly expanding the world so like another year down li the line the, the grand campaign is going to be like even grander has the Chaos Invasion been fixed up any? Because I remember one of the things we talked about is occasionally it really worked and it was a big scary, like, 
it, it was it was a real magical shitstorm coming down from the north and and the chaos wastes, and it could be really cool. But then there are other times where that entire thing felt like a damp squib, uh, where it was like, oh, they're they're here and they get swatted. It totally depends on your faction. I think humans in particular have quite a lot to to worry about from chaos because when they come down, that's uh, where they often uh, kind of walk through is the like the empire area. Um, and I think some of the, the northern kind of dwarf clans as well. Um, it can be. It, it really depends on the game. Some games it just works brilliantly. And when they appear, it's genuinely terrifying. And then sometimes they come and everyone's like allied and strong and just smashes them. And it's kind of embarrassing for chaos. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, it's entirely down to how the rest of the campaign has gone. But I think that's something that... I. I think that'd be really difficult to actually fix because it it really depends. There's too much dynamic stuff going on. I mean, if some smart alliances have been made and players in the AI have really created like stalwart defenses, well, then they deserve to completely annihilate chaos. Um, It's been earned, even if that does make that sort of climactic moment um, a little bit less climactic. That is a good point. Uh, that, yeah, I guess uh, my disappointment was occasionally that chaos like didn't really live up to the hype in the story. But that that is a good point that like it needs to have variable outcomes, and if your ducks are in a row, you can you can sort of throw that invasion back. Uh, so yeah, so definitely definitely a game I I've been meaning to to revisit. Uh, what what sort of has put me off it is that. Man, like, if you really want to get the full, like, it, basically, you're buying the game again, right? If you're going to go all the DLC, if you're going to get all the DLC, um, it does add up. And, like, the new, does, the new yeah. Elves expansion isn't cheap. No, but um, it's, it's an expansion. That's the thing people have to remember. It's not just DLC. It's not just a faction. And also, you're getting every single one of those Elven units is, like, unique as well. It's not like with the Beastmen, they share uh, chaos units. The Elves get completely unique roster. They get different campaign mechanics and their own campaign. So sure, it's like £13, I think. But for £13, you're essentially getting a new game. So you're not really just getting something like what... Yeah, like and it does rebuild part of the campaign of the map, which is it's it's, one of the things I like the most. It's a major addition. Um, and I think that's the problem. Sometimes we look at DLC and we we judge its value based purely on the name DLC because the implication is it's not very meaty. But actually, a lot of DLC is massive expansions. I, I think that's that's part of it. I think also certainly the way it's presented with Steam is that you click that drop down of show mm-hmm. me the DLC, and it's all this really unsorted list, right? Of just like. Yeah. Of of some of it's quite some of it's like patently crap, right? Like some of it is just needless stuff. Uh, that, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a skin that will change nothing, but it's like two bucks or something like that. And so I, I think you know part of it is presentation. You know what I mean? If, if everything sort of feels a little bit like grasping and scammy, it's it makes even the good stuff that's part of that list feel a little grasping and scammy. And I'm not saying that like I think the DLC strategy for the Total War games has been has been that way has been that way for the most part, but I, I it it like having just bought Total Warhammer, um, 
you know, dur during a sale, and then checking mm -hmm. out like what it would cost to get like the rest of the cool game that everyone's excited about. It was kind of disappointing, right? Because it's like, well, I just spent yeah. like forty-five dollars to to get this game, and then, oh man, like now that's basically half of what's out there, and now what percentage of the like sixty dollars of additional content is really going to add value uh, to my experience, and that that gets that gets a little tricky. But I mean, you're still getting. I, I would still say the base game is a good game. Oh yeah, like, and I it's a fully featured game. I didn't regret it at all. Yeah, but it it can be a bit dispiriting when you're like, okay, if I want the the full experience, I'm going to have to shell out like almost that amount again, um, and also figure out what of this like DLC is actually worth my time. Um, I suppose, and because. A lot of the, in a lot of occasions that, that DLC doesn't get reviewed or covered, so you don't really have any critics to go to. Um, at this point, I'd like to point out that my review of uh, Realm of the Wood Elves is up on Rock Paper Shotgun. <laughs> um, we'll link to that I mean, in, the, uh, like... in the podcast thread. <laughs> uh, um, but you also get a lot of throwaway stuff, as you mentioned, Rob, as well. You get like new. Um, it's more than just a, a new skin, but it's like new commander units, you know, new lords yeah. and heroes and things like that. And I think a lot of that is maybe for the, the really big tabletop fans who want to maybe get these characters that right. they know from their games and the lore. Um, exactly. Yeah. If you've got your favorite fucking character, you definitely want it. Like, I, I know that there's one with... Uh, the patriarch of the church of sigmar right like yeah I, I wanted to play that campaign so of course yeah i shelled out that money because i've liked that character for 15 years and fuck yeah i want to see him in a video game right but yeah and you're getting some i think you're getting some unique units um most of them are packaged in a way where you're getting a a, a new hero a new like le i think they're yeah. the legendary lords right for two factions and then you're getting some new of the iconic units is i think oh, what they're okay. called um which are the unique yeah. mercenary version of one of the regular units so they're like a they're a more badass version i think there there's like um there's some free stuff as well that you can get as well i think there is and i quite like the free stuff it's mostly wizards yes there are a lot of wizards <laughs> But it's it's interesting. I wonder if so, like, because Dawn of War had a lot of expansions. Um, but this was like in the pre DLC days. Um, yeah. Well, they just kept making new games almost. Like after a point, they stopped doing the expansions, right? It was yeah. like, like you could just buy Soulstorm, couldn't and, you? And I think was was it the same with Dark Crusade? I know Soulstorm was. was completely standalone. I think Dark Crusade was standalone as well, maybe. I think everything for Dawn of War 2, at least, was standalone. Yeah, Dawn of War 2 was, yeah. Chaos Rising and Retribution. Um, they were a lot more, like, restrained but there's a, uh, with their expansions, but there's a lot more DLC in, in Dawn of War 2. And I think, they, I think it was because they were trying to get people into the multiplayer, if that yeah. makes yeah. sense. Big time. Dawn of War 2 is kind of an interesting game because I have always been a bit ambivalent about the sequel. Um, but I think, what, like last year, earlier this year, I just started really playing in earnest and giving it a, maybe more of my time than I had originally. 
and I, I came out the other end bloody loving it. Um, it still doesn't usurp the throne from the original Dawn of War. Uh, but I have actually, I think, I've come around to it. Um, I remember you told me, Rob, that I needed to, to take it for another spin and reevaluate it. Um, and I think I'm, I'm leaning more towards your opinion of it now. Yeah, I will say, though, I've, like, I, I had that moment of like, hey, this is better than I thought and better than I remember. And then really quickly it wore off because like, they just overused boss battles so much in that freaking game. That, that whole yeah. attempt to like, what if this was also Diablo, uh, but yeah. in an RTS? And that got real old. Um, I've heard the, uh, the Chaos Rising campaign is actually really, really good. Um, it's also like a lot harder. Um, going straight from Dawn of War 2 to Chaos Rising, and I was like, because you keep all of your levels and equipment and all that shit. And oh. I was just like, and I was like, oh man, I am not having a good time right now. Um, I really got my ass kicked at first and had to really reevaluate how good I was. One other thing I want to mention is just, have either of you guys played, um, there's two games here that I'm, that I'm curious, about, curious to get your views on. Uh, so I played a little bit of Corsair. Um, either of you play that? That's the, is that the, the nautical yeah. one? That's, is it out now? Or... Uh, I don't know if it's out. It was on early access, and it was reasonably uh, feature complete, as it were. I was tempted, because I remember looking at it while I was playing... Um, what is that other bloody sailing game that oh, I actually like? Whose the one I've from uh, the Ultimate General Gettysburg guys? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Why can't I remember the name? It's really good. I've mentioned it before on the podcast as well oh whatever it i was playing that and i saw corsair and i was like oh it's pretty tempting there's like krakens and stuff and, and monster battles it seems quite cool I, I haven't played it and i'm actually really curious about it um it's definitely it's it's one of those games where i was i'm sitting and waiting for it to come out of early access um and you know at this point you may i may well miss it when it finally does yeah because there are there are so many warhammer games like i think um one of the sh one of the 40k shooters came out of early access this year, and the other week I just noticed that it had been out for months, and I didn't even know. Oh, uh, Eternal Crusade. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I also I just started playing that, and I don't know if it's it's really for me. Um, it it felt like Space Marine multiplayer, uh, but but bigger, and I'm not sure better. I need to give it more of a shot, but um, yeah, this was a game I completely lost, lost track of. And yeah, it's out now. Uh, this is this is the issue with early access in general is like stuff just hangs around and occasionally it like builds hype and develops an audience uh, in that time. But man, a lot of times it just feels like <laughs> something's just on the shelf and it's in some varying state of disrepair until eventually it's launched. And by that point, who cares? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do need to give that a shot because maybe if the Space Marine action is good. Uh, it can be it can be worth it, uh, but yeah, Corsair. I don't know. It's um, it's a very simple, fun, like tall ship action game, uh, but it is it's Warhammer Sid Meier's Pirates in some ways, and and maybe not quite as fun. Uh, it, it it looks good. It is it is really cool to like be. 
you know, chased by a kraken through a squall or, or something like that. That's 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 some good stuff. Uh, but what a lot of the game boils down to is like sail from port to port, like doing errands, um, occasionally preying on weaker ships. Although I will say, like, maybe I am being a little unfair because then there are great moments. Like, you know, you're out there in in the open water and you come across like an orc fleet, and you know, they've spotted you and they start bearing down on you with, like, their ram ships and you're sort of running like hell and then you run into, like, an Imperial fleet that's on patrol and suddenly it's like, you know, you've you've sort of stumbled into this, like, meeting engagement between, like, two massive fleets and then all hell breaks loose. It's, it's very silly. It doesn't feel... Uh, you know, whereas, like, Naval Action, uh, which is the game that Fraser was uh, mentioning a yes. minute ago, uh, whereas so Naval Action is, like really trying to be accurate and like get at a lot of the specifics of tall ship combat. Corsair is basically like, doesn't it feel good to just like rip into people with cannons and then like smash them in melee? Right. Just do that. Do you think it could have been a, a bit better if it had gone down the kind of mission route rather than sandboxy route? So maybe something more like Battlefleet Gothic Armada. Yeah, maybe. Um, I like, I need to check out how, how it's evolved because part of my issue was it was just so sparse, right? Like right. it was literally go here, go there, go sail here and look for a thing, shoot it, or go pick up this crate that's gonna be bobbing in the water and bring it back. So it was very, very fetch questy, very um, you know, privateer one uh, when it came to right. mission design. Right, I'm hoping right. that's been addressed, uh, but otherwise, yeah, the thing it was definitely missing was like specifically like authored moments, cool things to do that would be memorable. Um, and it just didn't generate nearly enough of that. Did did anyone play Eisenhorn? Uh, no. It, I just, no, just don't. Okay. Just don't. It was really disappointing to me. Uh, it, they're just not that good, unfortunately. But the books are mm. awesome. They are, right? Um, and it just ended up sort of being a, a mediocre point-and-click adventure game with a oh, not shit. very good tactically kind of element to it. I, I found it very disappointing. Okay. Um, which is too bad, right? Because I think if it had if it had just straight up been a uh, a recreate, like a, a, an adventure game recreation of the book, um, it would probably have been really fun. But I think yeah, that I heard they, people saying it was like Telltale's Eisenhorn, which yeah, I was like, that sounds great. Like, gimme. In theory, that's what it it only should have been that. Um, but they, it just sort of had too many mechanics for its own good, um, and that really obscured the interesting characters that are behind that story. Apparently, it was quite buggy as well. At least, I mean, when was it? It was released what, in August. It was. It was. Yeah, it was pretty busted. Yeah. Maybe maybe worth waiting for after it's been patched a few times, perhaps. Yeah, I've no idea if it's still uh, broken in the way that it was then. Uh, one last thing, because I actually never did get around to playing Mordheim. Yeah, um, Mordheim I've, was pretty cool. I could talk for hours about this. Uh -oh. <laughs> I've, I've never loved to hate a game more than I love to hate <laughs> that game. And I'm gonna. That's. I think that's totally true. Like, I think I love to hate it even more than I love to hate like Empire Total War. Okay. Mordheim is 
I I like it a lot. It's a it's an interestingly tactical, brutally difficult game of it, it's small squad tactics, weird fantasy in a, uh, in a weird fantasy setting, right? It's like you and your mates go loot the shit out of a wrecked fantasy city, right? This is the concept. Yeah. Um, and it's very fun, but it has these terrible moments of AI. Like the AI can just be disastrously bad at times. It doesn't fully understand how to play the game. Um, it often doesn't seem to be playing the same game you do. Like you have the objective to like try and get as much loot as you can. Often the AI doesn't even seem to care about the sweet loot that it just walks past. Um, and then there are just incredible difficulty spikes with story missions where it'll come out of nowhere and you'll be like, I'm doing really well. I've got a great squad. Um, you'll be 15 or 16 hours into a campaign. You'll hit a story mission and you'll just die. And you'll be like, okay, I guess I'm starting over now. On the other hand, you can play a Skaven Warband, which I, I kind of feel like makes it all okay. <laughs> yeah, but then like you get to be the rats if you want to be the rats. And fuck yeah, there's nothing bad about being the rats. Um, or the, the humans, like just being the humans in that game is hysterical. You're just a bunch of poor suckers who are trying to get rich. Um, and maybe you get rich enough to hire an ogre to do your fighting for you. <laughs> and that's very fun. Uh, and you can have your guy who's your, your epic captain who's lost a leg and an eye and he can't fight very well anymore, but he's a great leader. So you bring him along anyways every time. And then you get into a sticky situation where he can't get away because he only has one leg and he dies. <laughs> like, and that's it's the story is really great there. But there is a certain amount of frustration due to bugs or bad AI that you're just going to have to put up with to get at what I think is the core experience of that game. I think they've added, didn't they add a bunch of like DLC really early on as well, just after it came out of early access. Oh yeah, there's a bunch of DLC. Um, wolf priests and doom weavers and smugglers and uh, witch hunters and undead. There's quite a lot of DLC. Yeah, and I haven't I haven't dipped into the new fact right like the the witch hunters and undead are entirely different factions to play as. Um, with their own campaign and campaign missions. And I've ne I haven't touched those. Right. Um, and part of that's because I just feel like I don't have 15 more hours to sink into maybe not getting mm -hmm. to see the end of the, one of those campaigns <laughs> because they are, I mean, you're in Iron Man mode in that game, no matter what you do, right? Like you Oof. get one save for your faction. Oh. If you fuck up really bad, it's over. And you, you can't, over. and it's, and there's also kind of incremental ways to fuck up as well, so you don't even necessarily yes. know how oh, badly God. you the, fucked the dead up. Dead man walking effect of the Iron Man <laughs> yeah. campaign. Yeah, yeah, you can you can have fucked up ten hours before and been like, oh, okay, I guess it was all over when I lost those two guys on the seventh mission. Oh, yeah, the the stuff is always like cool in theory, but it's so it's so tough to to balance around that. Like, I want consequences to follow me through the through the campaign. Ooh, not like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I I definitely know that feeling. I had a I had a really great campaign in that game that exemplified both the the good part and the bad part of that sort of on ongoing effect where I had a like the young blood is like the hero for the Empire faction. Yeah. It's like it's the kid, it's the young healthy kid who's actually going to maybe get out of this alive and be a hero. Um and in like the third mission, I had this guy lose an arm and become a megalomaniac. Um, 
And so he, like, he refused to fight with a ranged weapon. He, like, wouldn't carry a rifle or a pistol anymore. And he'd just carry a sword. But he had insanely high strength. So he would wade into combat with, like, a fucking chaos spawn and cut off its head with his with his one sword. Like, he had one arm and one sword. And that was all that he got to fight with. Um, but then late in the game, it got to the point where this is my best unit and he just can't hack it because his stats aren't high enough anymore right he just his innate penalties are too high um and then i died and it was over and there was no way for me to foresee that like keep it the game won't tell you that keeping going with your one-armed guy is a bad plan but you get a good story out of it Yes, that's the thing. I'm like, that's a great story, and and that's what I love. I love, I love the story I got. I hate that I didn't get to finish the story. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's one I need to definitely need to check out. Then Uh, it's been on my list for ages, but I just I haven't made time for it. Uh, But yeah, like I I think ultimately, like I'm sort of glad, like because because Fraser, when you suggested this topic, I was thinking like, well, you know. I'm not sure what there is to say here because, like, aren't most of the Warhammer games, like, you know, kind of crap with with notable exceptions. But, like, that's just not true anymore. Like, it's it's becoming... And I don't think it's ever really been true. If you look back at something, like, there's always been, like, a good Warhammer game to play. Yeah. Yeah. There's always been one, but I think now there's probably, like, four. Yeah. It's definitely... I mean, it's just kind of almost like the law of averages because there's so many fucking Warhammer <laughs> games. Well, and the fact that they're drawing their inspiration from that from that Games Workshop catalog, right? That it's not just all like, well, we just need a game about the Space Marines. Like, yeah. that now it is like, well, Battlefleet Gothic is even, a yeah, thing that we can make like, a game about. Because Battlefleet Gothic uh, like, doesn't even exist anymore. It's a defunct tabletop game. Um, well, okay, just... so... Hell, Warhammer Fantasy doesn't exist anymore in tabletop. Oh yeah, it's like Age of Sigmar now or something. Yeah, is that... it's gone. Yeah. Is the RPG still around or is that gone too? Uh at this point that is gone because uh Fantasy Flight Games no longer has the Warhammer tabletop license at all. Yeah, what happened there? Uh, I think Games Workshop's gonna do what they did before. They're gonna what they did with video games. They're gonna sort of open it up to a variety mm. of developers instead. Mm. See how that works out. Uh the Fantasy Flight stuff was was, was pretty decent. It's always good. Yeah. I mean it and I and Games Workshop is also now releasing a lot more boxed offerings of their own, right? They're releasing yeah. more standalone, like buy this box, it's got thirty unpainted miniatures in it, and it's a game you can play. Yeah. That's yeah, that's a good point. And some of those are genuinely very good games. Um some of the Horus Heresy box sets that they've released are really fun. They're great tabletop Ooh. games. And they Ooh. are miniature skirmish games, but they are of a more limited scope than like the Warhammer um the sort of skirmish game is right and yeah. so they have a a more a, a better balance factor they're genuinely more fun to play and replay okay well we'll have to talk about that because like i am a sucker for horus heresy stuff um i've read way too many of those awful books uh but oh shit we're gonna yeah, okay so we, you should play uh, betrayal at calth you should check it out all right we'll 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 do uh yeah dan abnett is my is my co-pilot um, all right, so I love anyway. that there are people who actually read those books. What? I'm glad those people exist. People who read those terrible books. Oh, shut up, Fraser! God, <laughs> a seven, a seven, and you're giving me crap about Dan Abnett's magisterial, magisterial tomes on the Horus Heresy. 
It's a tragedy for our era. <laughs> I under I understand my world by by reading about the fall of Horus. <laughs> All right. Uh, on that note, uh, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, Three moves ahead is produced as always by our patient and long suffering Michael Hermes, who I have no idea what quality of recordings he's about to get uh, due to <laughs> due to some of the issues we've been battling uh, all morning. Uh, Three moves ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com/threema. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Fraser and John, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.